Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse number 27. I'm going to actually read through uh, chapter 2 a little bit. I got a lot of scripture today, so hold on tight. And I want to encourage you, as we read scripture, uh, the tendency is to zone out. But I want to encourage you to lean in when we read the word today. Because he, what he has to say is far more important than anything I can add to it. Amen? This is what... Moses writes in Genesis as he recounts creation. He says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Um, can, I, can I just give you the... A lot of people don't know what that means. A lot, that, that means have sex and have babies. <laughs> That's the very first thing God told Adam and Eve to do, right? I, I love the Lord. He said, he's such a good God. Fill the earth and govern it. My wife is probably blushing like crazy right now. Fill the earth and govern it. I'm not even going to look over here, guys. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look. I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I have given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And the evening passed and morning came and marked the sixth day. Now I go into chapter 2, just a few more verses. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. Now, how many of you understand that the Lord wasn't tired? God did not rest because he needed a break. God chose to rest because he instituted an example for us to follow. God rested from all of his work. And verse 3 says, And he blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy. I want us to imagine ourselves sitting around a table and, and having a conversation. And while we can't necessarily dialogue back and forth, I want, I want to teach because I think America, and I think many of us in this room, have a problem with rest. Now, I want to I specify something. When I say the word rest, I do not mean inactivity. I, I don't know about you, but I am, I, I'm pretty good at procrastinating. I am, I am really good at not accomplishing things. However, I'm not so good at truly resting. Uh, I, I read this statement, and, and it was in a commentary I read. It said, God values rest, but Americans value busy. And we do. And, and, and if you go and you start looking up statistics, which I'm not sure what year this was from. I want to say it was middle of 2020, which is an interesting year to pull stats from. But the stats say that the U.S. is the most overworked nation in the world. That we spend, as Americans, 137 hours more a year working than Japanese workers. And, and they know how to work, y'all. Have y'all ever driven a Toyota? I mean, they know what's up. Um, we spend 260 more hours a year than, than the British doing work. The CDC claims that one-third of Americans get less than six hours of sleep per night. And we need more than that. 
There are the few that can get by on less than that, but most can't. On average, we touch our phones, which directly contributes to our inability to rest. We touch our, I mean, touch the screen on our phone 2,617 times a day. And 55% of Americans are self-described as stressed out. Come on, look, can I just, can we just ask this question in the room? Anybody, let's just be honest, anybody feeling stressed out? Anybody? Yeah, well, all right, I want you to tune in today. And for those of you who are not feeling stressed out, give it a week, okay? <laughs> and, then, and then apply what we're going to talk about today. My belief is this, though. I don't think the answer to our stress problem or our rest problem is necessarily just taking a day off. I don't even think Sabbath day itself, and we're going to talk about the Sabbath in the moment, is truly the answer. My theory is this, that we have a rest problem because we have a trust problem. That's my theory, and this is my sermon, so I'm going to preach that theory because that's what I believe. My theory is that we have a rest problem because we have a trust problem. I remember when I first discovered I had a trust problem. My wife is already shaking her head like, I can't believe you're going to tell this story. I remember when I first discovered I had a trust problem. I was riding with my um friend, Kristen Alexander, that was her name at the time. That was what we were referred to by all of our mutual friends as um friends. Because people would say, hey, what's going on with Drew and Kristen? And people would go, mm, they're friends, I guess. Because nobody really knew how to define the relationship. And even though Kristen kept asking me to, I refused to do it myself. And so I was riding from Cleveland, Tennessee. I said, y'all got to keep up with me this morning. <laughs> I was riding with Kristen from Cleveland, Tennessee to Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, in her 1997 red Dodge Neon that had been wrecked multiple times. The, the gauges, this is my sermon. This is my sermon, okay? <laughs> we'll have you up here some other week. You preach it how you want to. <laughs> Anybody got a spare room today? It sounded like it had been wrecked multiple times. It drove crooked. The gauges didn't work. Am I lying? The gauges didn't work. The doors rattled. And so we're driving to Chattanooga from Cleveland, which is, is a pretty steady descent and in, in, in elevation uh, the way we were going at the time. It had been raining. I couldn't see out the windshield. I had one hand on her leg, and we were still just um friends, but I needed the the... <laughs> comfort of a human being and I had another hand on whatever you want to call this handle up here I'll let you fill in the blanks on that I was praying in tongues and trying not to cuss all at the same time asking God to forgive me for this decision that I had made to hang out with my good friend Kristen to go to Chattanooga and it was in that time of my life because see here's the thing I didn't ride with people places I started driving when I was 12 years old and I drove everywhere I went and and that's the truth that's not a sermon exaggeration that's the truth I started driving everywhere I drove myself everywhere I went and so we were going to a Toby Mac concert right with my own friend Kristen and she was going to drive I didn't know I had a trust problem if I had known I had a trust problem I said how about how about I drive and so on the, right, on the way down there, I realized that 45 miles per hour on the interstate in the rain in that car was just too fast for me. <laughs> I was scared to death. Am I lying? 
no, I, yeah. You hear the love and compassion in her voice. And I still struggle to ride with other people. I would much rather spend my own gas money than deal with what I perceive to be near-death experiences in your, in your car. Now, I can have them in my car, but as long as I'm in control, right? You catch that? As long as I'm the one in control, I am not afraid. And here is my confession to you today. I'm great at inactivity. I am great at accomplishing nothing, but I am terrible at rest because I am terrible with trust. Now, Kristen, she can get in a vehicle. I don't care who's driving. We could have Olivia, my oldest 10-year-old daughter, driving. (laughs) And Kristen will take a nap. (laughs) I don't know that I've ever fallen asleep in a car. I'm not very good at rest because I'm not very good at trust. And many of us struggle with rest, true rest, because we struggle with trust. Many of us, let me say it this way, we struggle with rest because we doubt that God is actually as good as he says he is. We struggle with rest Because we doubt that God is actually as good as he says he is. Listen to the words of Jesus himself. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation. He says, are you tired? Anybody? Come on, let's just talk today. Let's let's be a church. Anybody tired? Like, I'm not talking about you didn't get, but I'm talking like, I'm tired. You know, it's tired with a U, right? Tired, right? He said, are you tired? Anybody worn out? He says, are you worn out? Anybody worn out? Hey, let me ask you this. Anybody been burned out on religion and ritual before? Anybody ever felt like that? Like, I need something more than just the whole do the thing and, and hopefully be a good person. He said, Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. These are the words of Christ. He said, get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me and work with me. That's so important that you see that because real rest is not just inactivity. Real rest is actually found in the presence of Jesus. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. He says, keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Come on, that's a great promise straight from Jesus himself, isn't it? Come on, can we thank the Lord? We have a good father. The Jewish Sabbath day, now a lot of people are unaware of this. I've talked about it some. The Jewish Sabbath day is not Sunday. It's, it's actually Saturday. Uh, we consider Saturday to be the last day of the week. That's the day the Lord rested. That's the day, and we'll read about this later, that, that God said, set this day apart as holy. The reason why we have church on Sunday is because it is the first day of week. We, we consecrate the first day to give our first fruits. That's why we give in tithes. That's why we give in offerings. And that's why we come to church on Sundays to give our first to God. So we start our day out in worship. That's also the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead, right? In the beginning, God created the 
the heavens and the earth, right? And on day one, uh, I believe, maybe I'm wrong now. I've already stepped into this. I better finish it out. So if I, even if I'm wrong, just ignore it for the moment. On day one, God created light. Well, and, and when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that's when the true light truly entered the world. Amen? The light of God. And so the way the Jewish Sabbath works is it, is it doesn't, it's not just Saturday. It actually starts Friday at sundown. And there is a beautiful thing hidden in this seemingly mundane fact here. And here it is. So Sabbath starts at sundown, lasts all night, all the way through the next day, and then ends at just after sundown on Saturday. So, so here's the truth. Here's what's beautiful about this fact from your Bible is that Sabbath begins with sleep. So every single day, every single day, the way the Jewish calendar would work is the, the next day actually began at sundown on the current day. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that correctly? So you would begin your brand new day not by waking up in the morning. You would begin your brand new day by resting in preparation. So here's the beautiful thing about Sabbath in the Lord and, and, and rest from the perspective of scriptures is that Sabbath, or rather activity, is birth from rest. We often think about it from the opposite perspective of, I have to get everything done, then I can rest. But according to scripture, me getting everything done begins with rest. You guys with me this morning? In Genesis 1, we just read that God creates everything. And humanity's very first job was to rest in what the Lord had done. They're very, he, and he, he essentially says, now I'm not trying to, to be silly or crass. I know it sound, I made it kind of funny earlier. This is essentially what God says in Genesis 1. He says, hey, I'm, I'm, I've done everything for you. Take the day off, relax. I have some jobs for you, but right now, hey, you guys sleep together, right? Y'all, y'all, you're married, so you have, have sexual relations with each other. Eat some really good food. I've had, I've put all these trees here. I've had, he says, eat some good food and just chill. That, I want you to understand, that is the model that God set, set for humanity on the very first day, on their very first day on this planet. Hey, eat some good food, enjoy each other's company, and take it easy. Setting for us the example of what Sabbath rest can look like. And really, Sabbath rest looks like what it's supposed to look like when we rest, not because of what we have accomplished, but when we rest because of what he has accomplished. And that's why, that's why if you struggle to trust that God is really as good as God says God is, you will struggle to rest because you will remain convinced even in the middle of your inactivity that if you are not accomplishing, that if you are not producing, then you are not worth anything. And your mind will be occupied not with the, the time that you're spending with family or the good food that you're getting to eat or the relaxation that you're getting to enjoy, but your mind will be occupied with the fact that you feel inadequate, that you feel inferior, and that you're not accomplishing what you need to accomplish because your life is only as good as your next accomplishment. But humanity's first job, and even today, we'll get to it in a moment, is to continue to rest, not in what we've done, but in what he's done. 
In Exodus, you can go to your Bible, Exodus 16 through 18, those, those chapters. God provides manna for the people of Israel. They are in the wilderness. They have uh, escaped uh, Egypt as slaves, and, and they, they go to Moses, and they're like, hey, Moses, uh, we hungry, man. Like, we, we have no food. We don't, ha- we don't have any way of getting food. Uh, we're, in a, we're, we're in a desert. We're in a wilderness. And the Lord says, I'm going to provide manna every single morning. You're going to walk outside of your tent, and you're going to look on the ground, and there's going to be this, this food on the ground. And every day, I want you to go out, and I want you to gather as much as you want. I want you to gather what you need for your family for that day, right? So on Wednesday, you just go out, and you gather everything that you need for your family for Wednesday. And then when Friday gets here, which would be the day before their Sabbath, he, he, he essentially says, on that day, I want you to gather twice as much, and then that way, you won't have to go out on the Sabbath day and do any work of gathering food. And so what do the people do? Of course, they don't do what God says, because that would be too simple. It would make for a really bad story, right? No, no, no. Wednesday, and I'm just using these days as examples. This isn't exactly what it says in the text. So let's say Wednesday comes, and, and, and I go outside because I struggle to trust, right? I struggle to rest. I struggle to believe that God really is as good as he says he is. Now, let me say this. I don't struggle to believe that God is as good to you as he says he is. I just struggle to believe that God's going to be as good to me as he says he is. I'm just telling you, that's, that's where I live a lot of times, and that's, that's a battle I fight. Hey, that battle doesn't define me. I'm walking in victory in Jesus' name but that's who I was, and I'm walking out of that. So anyway, Wednesday comes, and, and I walk outside, and I say, you know what, I'm, my, I'm, we're hungry. And I, you know, this, I'm so grateful this manna is here today, but I'm not sure it's going to be here tomorrow. So I'm going to gather twice as much, and that way, if God doesn't show up for me tomorrow, then I will be able to provide, provide for my family and for myself tomorrow. And that's exactly what happens. And then the next day came, and the manna that they had saved, the Bible tells us, was full of worms and maggots, right? Come on, there's a great sermon hidden right there when so many of us try to live on yesterday's blessings. That's another sermon for another day, right? And so, so, so God said, listen, why are you doing that? I told you, only gather what you need for this day. Well, then fast forward to Friday, the day before Sabbath, right? God told them on that day, I want you to gather twice as much. You know the thing that you did when you weren't supposed to do it? Well, I want you to actually do it this time. I want you to go gather twice as much. And so, so they do. They don't have a problem with that. And he says, I want you to gather twice as much so that on the Sabbath, you won't have to go out and gather food. But instead, you will be able to partake of the blessings that I have provided. You will be able to rest. And so, so they gather twice as much. They take it home. But guess what they still do? They walk out of them tents Saturday morning like, where, where the manna at? Where's the manna? Where's the provision? And guess what? It wasn't there because God had already provided everything they needed. Now, we read this story 4,000-ish years later, and we look back on it, and we think, these silly people, these crazy people, like, they're, they're, so, they're so dumb. Like, why'd they do that? Why didn't they just listen to God? Can I, why don't you just listen to God? Why don't I just listen to the Lord and just trust him and do what he says do? So you have to remember where they came from. They had literally spent 400 years as slaves 
in Egypt, 400 years of forced labor, 400 years of no days off, 400 years of no vacations, no holidays, 400 years of no PTO, right? 400 years filled with fear, anxiety, insecurity, knowing that if Pharaoh doesn't give us what we need, we won't have what we need. And so they are slowly discovering that God Almighty is a better God than Pharaoh. How is that similar to so many of us today? That we have to discover that our Heavenly Father, He's a better Lord than the the lords of this earth, right? He's a better ruler. He's a better father. He's generous. We're not that different. They were slaves to the Egyptians, but we were slaves to sin. And our... Part of our new life in Christ is discovering that Jesus is always better than we first imagined him to be. I, my friend Jeremy Austell, who preaches here often, his, one of his just messages that he's always promoting in everything that he does and says, he says that Jesus, no matter how good you believe him to be, he's always better. He's always better. And I just, I want to get on board with that thought. No matter how good you think he is, he is better. God commands his people to rest and to trust him to provide. Remember, though, they've been slaves, no days off. So for them to take a day off feels unnatural. It feels unnatural to not strive, to not work. But this is, again, just one more way. The Lord is showing them that he is a better God than Pharaoh. Pharaoh would command them to work, but God is literally commanding them to rest. He knows, now listen, to the men, but even to the women, I know this is true. He knows that our human nature longs to earn things. Does anybody in the room, you can lift your hand if you want to. Do you have, anybody have trouble accepting very generous gifts? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like this feeling of like, I don't deserve this. Why did you do this? What can I, now, now that you've done this for me, I've got to do something for you. Can I just tell you that that right there is a small sign that there is still a part of your life that doesn't believe that you are worthy of love? That there is still a small part of your life that doesn't believe God is as good as God says he is. He knows that our nature longs to earn things, to feel accomplished, but in this relationship that we have with God, We are the recipients, not the earners. He has already done all the doing, right? And he says it's done. What Jesus say on the cross, the last words before he died. It's finished. It's done. Did you know that in Hebrews 4.9, Jesus is actually referred to as our Sabbath rest? Sabbath is not a day of the week for the Christian. Sabbath is a way of life for a son or daughter of God. So we go to Exodus 20. And I had to write these down because I'm ashamed to tell you, I could tell you all the Ten Commandments, but I couldn't get them in order. Okay? I need to to join our junior Bible quiz team, I think. 
How many of you are thankful for your kids being involved in JBQ, learning the scriptures? That's amazing, isn't it? How many of you parents have been challenged to learn the scriptures? Yeah, come on. That's what I'm talking about. Does anybody remember what, what commandment number one is? You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two is don't make idols. Commandment number three, anybody remember that one? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Anybody remember commandment number four? Remember to keep the Sabbath holy, right? Number five, honor your father and your mother. All the parents said, amen. amen. All the children said, okay. <laughs> number six, don't murder. Don't kill people. It's bad. Don't do that. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Number eight, don't steal. Number nine, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, also known as don't lie. <laughs> Number 10, don't covet. One day we'll do a sermon series and we'll talk through every single one of these and teach about them. But today, number four, it's interesting that number four says, the, it starts with the word remember. It's the only one that starts with the word remember. Probably because it would be so easy for us to forget, to observe the Sabbath day. It also contains the most words of any of the other commandments. Number four contains more words than don't make an idol God, don't kill people, and don't cheat on your wife, which is pretty amazing to me. And this is what it says. It goes from verses 8 to verse 11. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And what that really means to keep it holy just means to, that you have set it apart as a day in your week where you will observe a time of rest and enjoyment of what God has provided. He says, keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male, female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, on the earth, uh, he made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Here's the deal. For most of us in this room, I would venture to say this is true. Not only for us is it acceptable to break the Sabbath day, but for many of us, it is a place of pride to break the Sabbath day. We, we, we wear busyness like a badge of honor, right? Because we need to feel accomplished. We need to feel like we matter. Well, how do we make ourselves look important to other people? How you doing today? Oh, I'm just busy, man. Just busy, busy, busy. I, you know, how, how things been? Oh, they've just been busy. You know, how, how's the family? Oh, you know, pretty good. I hadn't really got to see them a lot lately. I've been so busy accomplishing things that nobody cares about. But hey, I've been busy doing it because I'm an important person and I, I, I matter. So I have to produce. I have to be busy because if I can't produce and if I can't be busy, then I don't have any value. And that is a lie of the devil to try to rob us from being able to truly rest in the finished work of Christ. And that mentality spills over. You might think I'm just talking about work days of the week or taking a day off. But that mentality spills over into every other avenue of our life where we are called to live by faith and not by sight. When we base our worth and we base our value on what we can do instead of what he has done. And we can't trust, and therefore we can't rest. So not only for most of us is it acceptable to break the fourth commandment, for many of us it is a, a, a pursuit to break the fourth commandment. 
Because our self-worth is tied up not in who we are in Christ, but in what I can produce in the flesh. And we walk around tired and proud because that must mean I'm doing something important. What it actually means is that you're denying Jesus' lordship of your life. Why is it so quiet? Come on, I told you I I wanted to be nice to you today. I'm telling you to take a day off. I'm going to say it again. When you walk around busy and tired, it's not a sign that you're important. It's a sign that Jesus isn't Lord of your life. It's a sign that you are. And your God isn't Pharaoh, but your God is you. You've made yourself your God. You've made a job or a company your God. You've made money your God. You've made possessions your God. And you have decided that it is better to have those things and to feel like you matter than to have the life God has for you and to rest and trust in Him. So, my plea for us today is that we would embrace a rhythm of rest. Now, kind of laid some foundations about the Sabbath. I'm not here to necessarily talk about days of the week and Sabbath day. I think we can actually get very religious, and that is not the point of the Sabbath. Jesus said that God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. Does that make sense? That it's not about a particular day of the week. It's not just about taking a day off. It is about taking time each week to, to rest so that you can rest, not in what you've done, but in what God has done for you. So for us to embrace the rhythm of rest, uh, Rick Warren says this, number one, if you're taking notes, plan to divert daily, which is to rest. Remember, the next day doesn't start when you wake up in the morning. The next day starts when the sun goes down. So you make plans to to rest at night so that you can enjoy the rest of your day the next day and be productive or, or rest or do whatever you need to do. So plan to divert daily, to withdraw weekly, and that's what we would refer to as a Sabbath day, and to abandon annually or to disconnect completely. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. I'm telling you, somebody in the room needs to just receive that over your life, that the Lord wants you to be able to rest. He wants you to live in peace. He doesn't want you to live in anxiety. He doesn't want you to live toiling. He doesn't want you to live feeling like you're not good enough. God gives rest to the ones he loves. And some of you need to remember, you're one of the ones he loves. So we, we plan to rest, right? We plan to withdraw. We plan to take vacations and holidays. How many parents, this is not part of the sermon, but how many parents in the room of small children or you've ever had small children know that when you take your kids on vacation, it's not a vacation. That's a family trip, y'all. Anyway, that's just another point for something else. Number two, embrace the rhythm of rest. Number two, work to create opportunities for rest, which sounds dumb, maybe a little backwards, work to create opportunities for rest. Now, I want to say this. Embracing the rhythm of rest doesn't mean that we willingly leave things undone. It means that we plan to rest, and in planning to rest, 
we, we complete what we need to complete so that we can rest without our minds being distracted over what we haven't gotten done yet. Does that make sense? This may mean that you need to readjust your schedule in your life. This may mean that you need to say no to some good things. There may be promotions. There may be raises that come with extra responsibilities. And as you analyze this season of your life, even though the money would be nice, the time that you would invest into it, it won't be so nice. And you may need to say no to it. You may need to say no to some overtime. Can I just, tell, can I just give you some freedom right now? Your kids don't have to do every, extra, every extracurricular activity is available to them. Like, you need time during a week to just be bored. Let me ask you, when is the last time any of us were bored? But it's in those moments of perceived boredom when our mind begins to, to think in ways without being forced to think. That's when, that's when real rest starts to occur. That's when creativity and imagination are birthed within, within us. And we need that. Your kids need that. Your family needs that. And if we continually fill our calendars with activity and we do not take time to rest and we do not take time to every so often be bored, we, we will find ourselves living this life of consistent and constant activity, worn out and unable to be everything that God has for us to be and to do everything that God has for us to do. It means we have to say no to some good things. It means that we have to plan to Sabbath. Now, we've been in this series for several weeks right now, and we talked about prayer the very first week. And we when we talked about prayer, my encouragement to you, it's something I do, and I, it works for me, and it works for a lot of other people I know as well, is that you actually put prayer on your calendar. Not, not, not like, at some point today I'm going to pray, but at, from 5.30 to 6.30, I'm going to pray. You pick a.m. or p.m., that's up to you. You know, we plan to pray. We plan to worship. We talked about worship last week. We plan to worship, at least corporately every Sunday at 9 or 11. We plan to worship, right? Well, can I tell you, you need to plan to rest. That you would set your week up, you would set your calendar up, and you would set that. That's what it means that the Sabbath is holy, is that it is set apart. Like, you can't touch this. Your emergency doesn't have to become my emergency, your problem is not going to become my problem. Now, are there exceptions? Of course, there's always exceptions. But they're exceptions. They're not the rule, right? We say no to some good things. We, we plan for Sabbath. And in doing so, we work to create opportunities for rest. Number three, we remember that rest is a command, not a suggestion. This is in the same list of commands that says, don't kill people. Don't create idols to worship. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's possessions. Also, remember, this is what God says, to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as a day of rest. It's in the same list, right? It, it even comes before, don't kill people, right? I don't know about you, but when I have important stuff to say, I usually try to say the most important stuff at the beginning, right? And God's like, okay, no idols, uh, no false gods. Uh, I don't remember number three right now. Anybody remember it? What? Oh, yeah, don't take the Lord's name in vain, which doesn't mean what most of us think it means, but that's a, another sermon for another day as well. 
And then number four, right? Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. The reason why it's not a command, the reason why God says remember is because for most of us, we think that God created us to do. Instead, God created us to be. To be with him. You know that later in Exodus, this is wild, y'all. God actually says, if you catch somebody breaking the Sabbath, murder them. Or not murder them, execute them. You know, this, this is a different word. It means different things. <laughs> the lawyer over here. Yeah, it's very different, right? <laughs> I mean, God, God didn't play around with that. And I, and I actually, I, as this week, I thought, Lord, that is, that is rather harsh, I would say. Uh, I mean, anybody can agree, like, we caught them working on Saturday. Now we got to stone them to death, right? You know? Um, I think the reason why this is such a serious thing with God is because if we do not honor the Sabbath, if we do not allow ourselves to rest, we are in essence saying that he is not Lord of our life. And number four, practice trusting God with your life. Jesus says, I'm going to read some more scripture here. It comes from Matthew 6. He said, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food? Isn't your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Remember, the reason why we struggle to rest is because we struggle to trust. And if we have a worried mind, that is proof that we struggle to trust that God is as good as God says he is. Jesus says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? How many medical professionals in the room? I know we have a few. Raise your hand real high. Yeah. How many of you have learned and know that worry will not add time to your life, but it will certainly steal time from your life? Verse 28, and why worry about your clothes, AJ? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. Sorry, I didn't mean to let that slip. I just had to throw that in there. Don't, they don't work, they don't make their clothing, yet Solomon, hear this, AJ, this is for you. And all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Love you, AJ. If God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he certainly care for you? He will certainly care for you. Why do we have so little faith? Or why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, these things dominate the thoughts of those who do not have a heavenly father. Or do not know they have a heavenly father. But your heavenly father already knows what you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is, this is Jesus. There's always going to be more to do, isn't there? There's always another load of laundry, right? There's always another deadline to meet. Hey, can I tell you as a pastor, Sunday just keeps coming every single week. No matter, like, it's, there's, it's always there, right? There's always another sermon to prepare. 
There's always another event to attend. There's always another project to finish. There's always another project to start. And embracing the rhythm of rest, again, I want to say, is more about trust than rest itself. And here's why it's about trust. You have to ask yourself the question, do I trust that Jesus will give me everything I need? Or do I believe I have to toil, I have to work, and I have to labor like the Hebrew slaves did for Pharaoh? One more, one more passage of scripture and then I'll be done. And everybody said amen, right? I mean, I'm going to explain it a little bit, so don't get too, your hopes up too high. I think everybody is familiar with this psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can we read this together? We got it on the screen, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to invite you to stand. With the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 1. With the Lord is my shepherd. I have enough rest because he is my Sabbath. He is my place of rest. Because for the New Testament believer, Sabbath is not just a day of the week. It is a person, and that person is Jesus. With the Lord as my shepherd, I have enough energy because he is my source of life. Anybody saying, Lord, I need some more energy today. Well, can I tell you, he's got it. With the Lord as my shepherd, I have enough wisdom to make decisions. You know why? Because he knows everything and I know him. With the Lord as my shepherd, somebody may need to receive this today. This isn't blab it and grab it theology. This is word of God. With the Lord as my shepherd, I have enough money because he is my provider and he owns a cattle on a thousand hill. Verse two, with the Lord as my shepherd, he will lead me from fear to peace. He will lead me from anxiety to rest. Verse 3, with the Lord as my shepherd, he restores me. Go read it. He restores my soul is what it says. He restores me back to how he originally intended me to live my life before sin ever had any say-so in my life. Because the real me is full of joy. Anybody need some joy today? Come on, the real me is full of peace. The real me does not live in regret, and the real me does not allow what I can't control to control me. He restores me. Verse 4, with the Lord as my shepherd, I will walk through deep, dark, and treacherous valleys. Listen, following Jesus does not ensure you an easy life, but it does ensure you an abundant life. It ensures you a life filled with purpose and meaning and hope. 
And so, so the psalmist says, with the Lord as my shepherd, I'm going to walk through some difficult occasions. I'm going to walk through some deep, dark valleys. But in the middle of the valley, I will not live in fear because he is with me. He is with me. Verse 5, with the Lord as my shepherd, I will not live in lack. I will live in overflow. And this is why, because when you choose to live with open hands, we are promised from his word, we will live under an open heaven. The temptation is to close our hands and hold on to what we've got because we are so afraid. If I don't have enough manna for me in my house today, that means I've got to, I've got to go get more. I've got to hold on to it. I've got to hoard it. I've got to keep it. But that is not the way of rest that is found in Jesus. Instead, the rest that Jesus says, if you will just live with open hands, I will pour out upon you blessings that you don't have room enough to receive because he knows he can trust you to not be a glutton with his blessings, but rather to be a conduit of his blessings. With the Lord as my shepherd, I live a life of overflow. And so many of you today are tired and worn out and weary because what is coming out of your life is exceeding what is being poured into your life because you're living like this instead of like this. Verse 6, with the Lord as my shepherd, I will live the abundant life he has for me because he is a good shepherd and I belong to him. Jesus says this in John 10, 10, one of my favorite, favorite scriptures of all of the Bible. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then verse 11, I love this too. Go to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And here's my question for you today. Very simply, is he your shepherd? Or are you the one leading your life? In order for the Lord to be your shepherd... You can't be in charge. In order for the Lord to be your shepherd, you don't get to call the shots. If you go to the Middle East or if you go to wherever they got sheep and shepherds anymore, you ain't gonna, you, you will not find any sheep calling the shots. You won't find sheep saying, hey, we need, to, we, need to get on, we need to be looking out for some fresh pastures or some fresh water. You know, we're all tired. We're all thirsty. We're all hungry. No, no. You won't find sheep out there calling the shots, but you will find a shepherd who sees what they can't see, who knows what they can't know, and who, who loves them more than they can imagine. And you will find that shepherd, that's the one. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one charting the course. He's the one making a way. And so today, Lifehouse, if you're weary and worn out, if you're tired of living like everything depends on you, I implore you today to ask yourself this question. Is Jesus truly my shepherd or am I the one in charge? Because as long as you are in charge, you cannot follow the good shepherd. He will not live in competition with you. If you want to be Lord of your life, he'll let you. 
But if you will lay your life down at his feet and say, Lord, all I have to offer is this, and it's me. He will take you further. He will bless you greater. And he will give you rest. The kind of rest you don't get from a week in Destin or at Hilton Head. That's not restful. That's, that's how I go broke, right? No, he'll give you rest for your soul. He'll give you rest from your worries. He'll give you rest from the anxiety. He'll give you rest from guilt, rest from regret, rest from want and need. And the reason why is not because we're good sheep, but because he's a good shepherd. Listen, I know I've gone a little long today. What's new, right? But if, if you're in a place and you, would, and you need prayer, I don't want to just move on because we have another service coming in. I want to take our time this morning. You're tired. You're weary. You're worn out. You're burned out. You're exhausted. Maybe, maybe not even physically, but spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you are just at the end of your rope. I want to pray for you today that you would allow the good shepherd to just to show you just how good he is. Because the reason we don't rest is because we struggle to trust. And the reason why we struggle to trust is because we are not sure that he really is as good as he says he is. And I want to pray for you today that you will discover just how good he really is. So as Don takes a moment and leads us, if you need prayer today, I want to invite you to come to this altar. You can come now. I just want to thank you, Jesus.